Hello, thank you for clicking play. If you're passionate about supporting small business, small creators and are enjoying the podcast, I would love if you considered supporting me and the show via Patreon. You'll find the link in the show notes where you can join us from as little as £3.50 a month. You'll be supporting the making of the show, enable me to keep the show ad free, get behind the scenes content, blog posts and lots more. Just click the link in the show notes to find out more. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Independent Thinking, the podcast exploring a new era for the high street. We celebrate those who are doing wonderful, creative things in the most difficult of circumstances. We'll be going behind the scenes of businesses and shops you love that you look forward to visiting and that add joy to your high street. I'm your host, Alexandra. Welcome along. Welcome back. As we explore more partnerships in business, today I'm joined by another husband and wife team, Jill and Steve from Meander. Meander is a sustainable clothing brand passionate about making outdoor clothing more accessible, appealing and importantly, wearable. They both have a love for adventure and so, after embarking on a mammoth charity cycle ride from London to Paris, they started a company after realising there was a gap in the market for a cycling jacket that was not only practical but something you actually wanted to wear. From there they've gone on to develop a whole product range, had a pop-up at Space at 17 and do check out our episode earlier in the series with Jess if you're new here and recently opened a permanent space on Edinburgh's George Street. We talk about bringing a product to market, what challenges can come from wanting to work more ethically, creating a vibrant community for your customers, and why there's never been a better time to explore the great outdoors. It was so lovely to chat to them both. You can really tell how much they love what they do and how passionate they are about wanting everyone to experience the beauty of Scotland's countryside. Enjoy. Lovely to have you. Welcome to Independent Thinking, Jill and Steve from Meander. Lovely to have you with us. Ah, thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. So I thought we'd explore the idea of partnership first. So we've been speaking to a number of different business partnerships this series and we'll look at others uh, coming up and many actually husband and wife teams um, in business. And I'm interested, is this the first business venture you've done together? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's the first one. I think, um, I mean, when Steve and I first met, we were both living down in London and I was working um, in fashion. And actually, I think I had just been made redundant from a company that had just, um, anyway, gone through gone through that. And um, I was looking at starting up another sort of project with another girl. And I recalled Steve, you know, we were just starting kind of going out and he was kind of hanging around the kitchen table as we were, you know, coming up with various ideas about what we could create. So it's um, starting a business has definitely always been kind of at the forefront of my mind for a while. Um, and whilst that one didn't go ahead with the, with the other girl, I think it was something that from the early days of me and Steve seeing each other, it was something that we, we kind of spoke about doing someday. <laughs> oh, interesting. So you've both always kind of had an interest in business and you always had a sort of sight 
like in your future that you're going to be self-employed and you were kind of going to do your own thing in some way yeah I think I think for me definitely and I'll let you answer yeah you'd always worked in fashion and wanted to do your own thing I worked in finance and knew that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my Mm -hmm. life and Mm -hmm. was looking for something a bit more exciting to do and something a little bit more real than being part of huge multinational corporations and being a very small part of it and just kind of the thought of doing something seemed really interesting so we kind of spent many years just chatting coming up with a million different ideas that mm. some of which could have been big successes a lot of which would have been massive flops but and some of which could still be future businesses yeah we'll keep them quiet Steve's always wanted to have a dive school, so perhaps one day in the future. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, we'll have to get into that when we, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, the idea of being more outdoors is just wonderful right now. So, yes, but this is the, so this meander though, so of all the ideas you had, meanders mm-hmm. where you went. Now, it's. I find it such an interesting story of how you came about. And I think it's particularly pertinent now with everyone, well, certainly with cycling, really soaring during lockdown and it's all becoming so much more connected with our green spaces and with kind of wanting to seek out nature. So I kind of, I love the way that this story came about. So yeah, tell us more about how you took this wanting to work together, had an idea of doing something more meaningful, perhaps more connected to your interests, your passions and outside world, uh, I say the outside world, like the natural world. um, Yeah, and how it came to be. So yeah, tell us a bit more about your story. The reason why we, why we embarked on the, on the cycle ride and it was a a charity expedition um, was Steve was actually taking on another adventure, um, which was an expedition to the North Pole. No, really? Um, Yeah, which, which I think happened about a week after our our bike ride from London to Paris. Lord. Um, so Steve's always been a bit of an avid adventurer. Um, and with the with the North Pole Trek and Expedition, um, it was raising a lot of money for Wooden Spoon Charity. So kind of what we had decided to do was to um because it, it was raising quite a substantial amount for the for Wooden Spoon for the North Pole event, um, was to almost crowdfund or or crowdsource the char- the charity raising, um, which we decided we could do maybe by pulling a group of our friends together, Steve and I organizing a trip from London to Paris, booking all the accommodation, planning the trip, getting a few of our friends on board, and kind of raising the the charity funds together. So that that was where the idea certainly came about. Yeah, it just seemed like a really fun way to go and try and raise money rather than just thinking of stuff. I could do myself and say, sponsor me to do this or that. Let's yeah. make a really good event of it. And had you done previous challenges like that before? Have you done, because that's quite an undertaking. <laughs> so I've done a couple of things. I kind of got a little bit addicted to running for a while and ended up doing the Marathon de Sabs, which is 250 kilometers across the Sahara Desert. And thought wow. I needed to do something <laughs> kind of like the polar opposite and uh, through through a connection, I found out about this trip to go to the Magnetic North Pole with the rugby charity Wooden Spoon that do some amazing work for uh, children across the country. And they wanted to set a record to play the most northern game of rugby and go to the Magnetic Pole and do that. And I, I found out about it and just said to myself, I've got to try and get on that. 
And yeah, for some reason they let me on and it was, it was an amazing expedition, but much bigger fundraising target than I'd ever done before. So we, we decided to do the bike ride to Paris. I see. So then, so you're, so you're obviously an avid cyclist, I'm guessing, like an avid kind of, both of you were avid cyclists or both of you were, did you both do the challenge? Yeah. We, we both did the challenge, but I, I, I would say Steve's always been a very passionate cyclist, always, you know, a few bikes in the garage. Um, I've always been, I guess, a, a casual cyclist, definitely always had bikes. Um, and, you know, into multiple different sports, I guess. Um, so I wouldn't say wholeheartedly passionate about cycling, but definitely passionate about the outdoors and would enjoy the odd bike ride and cycle to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Paris was definitely a challenge. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Mm. So so tell us that kind of, so was it the, yeah, tell us more about how that kind of blossomed then into what we, what we know now. I think it was just because none of us were sort of the traditional cyclists as much as I cycled a lot, I'd never really done racing, didn't own a lot of Lycra kit. So we were all similar background and just sourcing stuff to ride on the bike to Paris. And then when we we're thinking about a jacket, we thought, right, we better get some proper cycling gear for this. So we needed to buy something that was waterproof, breathable, like a proper sports jacket, but acutely aware that at multiple stops we'd be getting off, going to a cafe and we're packing light, so it didn't make sense to have one waterproof jacket for cycling in and then another one in case it's raining in Paris and you want to go out for dinner and having a second <laughs> waterproof jacket. But every jacket we found was either sort of brightly colored, sort of neon cycling jacket covered with logos, looked like a cycling jacket mm. or quite nice looking, but not very waterproof and not very breathable. And um, I think also maybe... Keeping in mind at the time, I was working for the fashion brand House of Holland. And oh, wow, really? Yes. And some of my colleagues were also coming on the trip. So we were like a right mixed bunch of, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't call us fashionistas, but we were more aware of what we were wearing and kind of yeah. laughing at the stereotypical cycle <laughs> kit. So it was a bit of a thing and a chat. On, on the way <laughs> um, yeah yeah <laughs> I see yeah I mean you couldn't get anything more different really than like I mean two worlds of fashion colliding isn't it like I imagine House of Holland yeah I've got a real image in my mind of what that not that you're all decked out in it but you know like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah fine so it was about sort of creating a product then that just didn't exist in the market there was just nothing that looked stylish and you felt confident in whilst also being safe and like a uh, practical actually for such a heavy duty ride exactly I think I think the cycle ride it, it basically sparked an idea and got us talking about something um which yeah which we wanted to develop and and, and something that we could become more um so yeah when we got back we were kind of started working on on this idea it kind of you know, the business idea that we had always wanted something to do together, it just became a thing that both of us were really, really interested in and pretty passionate about. Um, so it, yeah, it led us down the road of of creating, first of all, you know, our first jacket, which we called Meander Jacket, um, which, you know, after months and months of going around various fabric fairs and sourcing the perfect material, 
um, which, you know, we wanted to do, find something that was ethically made in, in, in Europe as well. So we, we found a lovely fabric from an Italian mill um, and just kind of, yeah, went on this journey of developing a jacket, which was very minimalist, very Scandinavian inspired, um, and then putting details and subtle technical details into it uh, that made it work on the bike as well, as well as the fact that the material itself is very waterproof and breathable and functional. Um, yeah. But then just adding little bits, other bits of functionality into the design um, to make it something that could be perfect on the bike. But then when you were, you know, going around those crazy cafes and bars, then it was perfectly good for those things too. Um, yeah. yeah. So were you, were you bringing that? Because I, I guess the idea of getting of, of taking that idea on a on a notepad and then turning it into something, you know, speaking to um, like producers, speaking to kind of people who are making these fabrics. Was that something, was that your background? Is that exactly what you were doing in fashion before? So you knew how to how to do this? Because I think a lot of people would think, oh God, mm-hmm. where, where to start? Where do you even begin? Yeah. That kind of thing? Yeah, I guess in that respect, that is exactly what I've been doing for other brands for probably the last previous decade before um, which was the the sourcing, the manufacturing, the buying kind of side of things. Um, although, you know, there's it's a world apart working for a brand like so, if, you know, in the fashion world like House of Holland or French Connection, another place that I worked, um, and then going into something that's you want to do very sustainably and using performance materials, you're almost not starting from scratch. I had like a, a background in knowledge, but just kind of it's completely different suppliers that we're working with um, in the performance side of things. But in terms of, yeah, knowing where to start and knowing the shows to go to, we, we knew where yeah. to go. So, yeah. And how easy was it to find what you wanted? Like, it, I mean, how many people are making fabrics that are sustainable and ethically sourced and all of these things that you were looking for? Yeah. Because it must be quite difficult to have that unwavering sense of like no this is our this is what we want and, and not kind of uncompromising mm, you know yeah. on that quality is yeah. it is it getting easier to kind of get those fabrics together or is it actually is it still pretty tricky what's it like I yeah I, I don't know <laughs> um I think there was definitely like in the beginning it was very it was difficult um you know it was kind of turning up and uh, well actually the fabric fair the first one I went to was Premier Vision which is one of the biggest fabric fairs um, and it is it's held in Paris and it's just hall upon hall of different suppliers from around the world mm-hmm. so I think I went out there and probably spent like a good couple of days just trailing from you know one stand to another stand to another just trying to find what we're looking for is it like rolls and rolls of fabric? Are we talking like things to like what? I'm trying to build a picture in my head. Is it just like this trade fair of like? So not, not so much rolls, but hangers. So they just have like little samples that they take of, ah. of their latest collection. Um, but yeah, there is thousands to go through. Um, but I guess what we did know is I did know straight away that we wanted to work with someone within Europe. So you were kind of narrowing it down because most... Um, most of the fabrics at these fairs are probably produced more in Taiwan and the Far East and things like that. But we knew we wanted to do it more locally than that. Um, so that cuts it down, you know, so you're then left to sort of maybe 10%, um, which is on show. And then it's just a kind of case of going through meeting them and having a good idea of what we're looking for. 
Um, but yeah, I think we probably went to a, a good couple of shows before we we started the um, developments and find the ones that we wanted to work with initially. But yeah, no, I'd say that now having gone, you know, um, since developing the Meandry jacket and moving on just a year or, or two down the line, um, it is definitely getting easier. And I'd say even in the time that we've been doing it, there are more su- suppliers now that are offering the recycled fabrics and, you know, things that are, are produced more sustainably, whether it is that was definitely one of the biggest challenges for us. First of all, there just wasn't that many available on the market, but you're definitely seeing them coming through now, which is good. Because that's a really core part of your brand, isn't it? So, you you know, it's a, you're part of 1% for the planet and, and you're moving towards this in 2022, you know, 100% recycled or sustainable. That's clearly hugely central to who you are. So, yeah, tell us a bit more about that. And I, I guess how, what challenges that can bring as a business owner when actually you, uh, yeah, doing things more ethically is not, you know, might not always be easy, as you say, you know, trying to find the suppliers in the first, I mean, that's one problem, but I'm sure there's other things that are tricky as well. I think it just stems from us both being outdoor lovers, both really into wildlife. I used to be a scuba diving instructor, so sort of love the undersea world and have seen in the last sort of 15 years how it's changing. And we realized when we were starting a brand and starting to make stuff and build a company, we were sort of very aware that we didn't want to build a company that was going to be harming the planet we live on or sort of profiting at the expense of the environment. So it was very important to us that if we're going to do something, we do it right and it has had its challenges. I think it's getting better now that, like Jill says, there's more sustainable fabrics out there, but it did narrow our choices. And it, it does add a, add a little bit of cost at the moment. But that's kind of one of the reasons why we decided to become direct-to-consumer as a brand, because mm. one, for the, for the performance, the high quality, and on top of that being sustainable, everything we liked tended to be quite expensive and we wanted to make products that people could afford. We didn't want to be making 800 pound jackets and that's sort of the price range yeah. that things would be if we sold some of our products through wholesalers. So kind of that forced our hand to be direct to consumer, but it's actually quite a nice way to be because it lets you tell your story. People can come into our yeah. store. We've got our own imagery we can write what we like and sort of talk to the customers and tell them all about our products and what makes them different. They're not just yeah. hung up in a shelf somewhere else where people don't know what's different about them. Yeah, it's that element of control and that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, particularly on the brand. And when you're starting, you know, a relatively young company, it's really important then that vision I think is all yours and you get to decide you know exactly where yeah. you stock it and where you take it and yeah definitely and I think it's something that we that we can see you know every day people that come into the store um the last where things are made how they're produced and I think yeah it's it's really important to us to be able to sort of you know go, go through the the journey of where we produce and how we produce and why it is that we use so many recycled and natural fibers within the collection. Um, And I feel that people are more and more coming on board with that and they're actively seeking it out. So yeah, Yeah. like Steve said, I think being able to speak directly and tell that story behind the product is really good. 
Yeah. And I think it's it's just such an interesting period because I, one of my questions I was going to ask you actually was how do you develop sportswear or, or like uh, outdoor wear that has like in terms of performance for the people who are wearing it. But actually it feels like you have that between you, between Jill, your knowledge of kind of the what fabrics need to, and what they need to deliver for the, the person wearing them and Steve with your experience of 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 kind of using them in you know whether it be in the North Pole or you know then I guess that's a really interesting pairing that you have I, or did you I mean or, or did you work with other kind of people who are um like sports people or, or kind of in that kind of field in terms of getting more expertise and when you develop the product I think it's mostly tested on ourselves kind of we're both right. into the outdoors and know what we like so we kind of have ourselves yeah. in mind I think a yeah. lot of a lot of it comes down to the fabrics okay. kind of our best selling yeah. are our adventure trousers and we had a sample of the fabric for those and Jill had mocked up quite a rudimentary prototype that I tried on and I just had so much stretch and was so soft. I put them on and I just was blown away. I thought these are the most comfortable things ever. We have to, we have to make these as trousers. And Jill's <laughs> first impression was that kind of the look wasn't quite right. But I'm like, we can fix that. We have to make these trousers. And yeah. they've just been so popular and they are really good for the outdoors. Yeah. I think so, like Sue says, it's one kind of, being being the customer is helping us with that kind of side of things um but also just it's something that we're both really really passionate about as well um so you know one I enjoy kind of sourcing and finding the fabrics and going through pulling them off all these hangers and feeling them and feeling you know I think something that everyone comes into our store and comments on is how soft and how lovely you know or whether it's our sweats or t-shirts or our trousers um something we often quite sort of laugh about in stores a lot of our customers they'll go up to the changing room try something on and then leave the store actually purchasing it and wearing it out the store I mean there's nothing more flattering um it's absolutely lovely but I think it's to do with you know the softness and the hand feel so I think that's something that I just love naturally um and then I think in terms of like the technical side of thing it's something that we've both really researched as well just kind of really thought about you know what performance qualities is it that matter um and then just finding some really great suppliers to work with that offer you know that kind of both the the functionality the whether it's the the wicking and the quick dry and the anti-odor and these kind of things but also that you know look at things aesthetically the same way that we do so they have that nice simplistic design and hand feel um, so yeah a lot of research and a, a lot of yeah us understanding I think being our own customer as well which is just kind of fun <laughs> yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and I think like you say I mean we'd obviously been focusing on the performance but like you say aesthetically I mean it's also a very um because I think well speaking personally I find that some outdoor brands can be quite intimidating mm-hmm. in terms of like knowing you know what I don't know like knowing the right words to use or like what I need for certain circumstances and things but there's something about the way that you've styled the brand and the way that your shop feels actually it's like actually your sort of broad church if come one come all do you know I mean I don't need to be an expert in cycling or hill walking um I can just I think the way that they look as well is much more a uh, approachable I think is the word I was looking for as a brand I think it feels much more and I think that comes from like you say you needed something that was going to translate 
Absolutely. In the bar after, you know, after the bike ride. Yeah. As much as anything else. I think for us, one of the main things that we always try and do, it's all about designing and versatility. So everything has to look good enough to be worn around the city, but at the same time perform whether, you know, if you want to go and climb a mountain um, or bike into the office and then not bother changing when you get there. Um, yeah. But we are definitely, as as our name, Meander, I think we're all about, you know, enjoying the journey and the meander. We're not about, you know, one of these cycle brands or that's trying to get there the fastest. If you want to do that, then you probably, maybe you want to wear the Lycra to shave those seconds off. But we're all about, you know, enjoying the outdoor adventure. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're all about being quite in, very inclusive and we're actually starting to, well, we'll be doing some bike rides and some runs from our store um, starting in two weeks' time. And then it'll be everyone back for some, you know, whether it's coffee and cake and, and hopefully we'll get some of our pizzas <laughs> on the go soon as well. Um, and it is it's just like building a community. We've had so many people come in the store um, who have taken up cycling. Like you say, it is booming recently. But our customer, there's loads of casual cyclists and, and they're grateful to find products that, that they can wear off the bike as well. Um, yeah. And I would say they are more of a casual meandering cyclist. And, and that's the kind of community that we want to nurture and grow and, and have events for. Hmm. So let's come on to that retail space because, you know, um, Jess mentioned you and, and, you know, anyone who's local to Edinburgh will have a seen you in space at 17 as well in that kind of pop-up that you did so did you always have a vision whilst you were direct to consumer was that did you have an idea that it was going to be a space on the high street or was the idea that you do these kind of pop-ups and kind of to get your name out there but also to connect with consumers or is this kind of again in, in the meandering way of like just discovering things is that actually just been a happy accident with you've enjoyed that aspect of it or yeah how, how, tell me how that's kind of grown for you yeah so I think we'd always wanted a retail space and space at 17 is such a wonderful space it allowed us mm -hmm. to try that out without sort of signing a 10-year lease it was a great way to test the water and see if it worked and mm -hmm. we we really loved it we got to get the customers in and like we said earlier sort of touch and feel try things on we did a couple of talks in there which was amazing had, had some speakers and sort of did a panel on sustainability and just loved being able to try and sort of create that community rather than just a retail space so as soon as we finished our month there we started a hunt to try and find a permanent home and we'd always had the idea we'd like to make it that space so we wanted to sell coffee have people in hopefully we'll start doing more events when we can have more than six people in the store at once <laughs> but, uh, that that will come with time and yeah so we were searching for that uh, a couple of setbacks along the way and uh, we almost signed something i think in march 2019 2020 oh, oh so 2020 yeah oh, and yeah i had to pull out of that because everything was closing down really quickly how's it been looking for a space how because i think one thing we haven't talked about a huge amount actually on the podcast so far is the the challenge that can come not only in just like finding a place and how quickly things move in Edinburgh particularly mm. but also what you're expected to put up in terms of financial capital but also like you know 
tell the, the potential, uh, you know, your your uh, landlord more about yourselves and kind of give yourself like a business plan and pull that all together. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's a world that a lot of people don't know. But yeah, just about a bit more about how that works and how did you find it? Was it was it quite stressful yeah. at times? Pre-COVID was definitely a lot harder. Landlords would oh, want yeah. all of those financial records, substantial mm-hmm. deposits, guarantees, a minimum 10-year lease and in some cases they turn around and say actually we've gone with this other company that've already got two stores or some experience because they're a safer bet so sort of unlike renting a house or buying a house just having the money and being willing to take the lease isn't enough to guarantee your space so and yeah. a couple of knockbacks like it was that. A bit, I'd say it was definitely a roller coaster, wasn't it? There was a couple that we thought we had that then we found out we didn't have and things like that. So, um, and like you say, the market, you know, we were looking particularly around kind of Stockbridge area following Space at 17. We were quite set mm. on being, being in that kind of community, but they just get snapped up so fast. Um, and then, yeah, like Stu said, if someone else has got that kind of, you know, already has a retail store and has a bit more trading history, um, then it was landlords were favoring people with that kind of stability and backgrounds. So yeah, definitely challenges. Yeah. So as much as COVID set us back and delayed us getting the store, it did did create opportunities. I think okay. more people were open to shorter term contracts. So we originally took the George Street space for a six month lease which we probably wouldn't have been able to do previously because they would have wanted a longer-term tenant. But it was a good good opportunity for both the landlord and us to get in somewhere yeah. and for them to get a bit of rent. And, uh, yeah, we probably wouldn't have ended up on George Street or no. dreamed of being on George Street otherwise, but it's been yeah. such a great space for us that we've extended it again and we'll hope to keep rolling it until we can uh, agree a long-term rent when things get back to normality so tell us a bit about what your hopes are for the space then because already you've talked about having a panel bringing more added value to the 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 consumer thinking about like not just um although you talk so beautifully about like you know like touching the clothes and actually feeling so much more than you can ever feel online but that feeling of like adding sustainability or bringing your values to life a bit for the customer and yes, you've, you've touched upon a few things there that you're going to do, but tell us more about those plans that you have for George Street. We, we already, we have a lovely community of, of beef, both people who have followed us from the beginning and sort of absolutely lovely for them to come back in store and be like, oh, I first came across you guys, maybe in Space at 17 or, you know, Instagram or crowdfunding. So people that have been with us for a while on the journey to so people that are just finding out about us and coming across us. Um but we do definitely feel that there's a sense that, you know, people want to be a part of something um, and community is so important to us. So I think for us having the space, it just enables us easier to kind of get people together who are like-minded, who are into the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got loads of ideas of things we want to do. But um, yeah, initially it's going to be kind of bike rides and um and 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 run clubs and um uh but done in a very meander way so coming back for coffee and cake we also sell um uni pizza ovens in our store so we've been chatting to those guys about you know doing a a cooking some pizza out just in our little front bit and and that'll be something that we'll, we'll do when we come back um and then yes i mean we're we're so 
passionate about sustainability and um, and all that sort of process. And I think a lot of people are. So whether it's getting together for 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 talks and and chats about that, or you know, we've got ideas of doing some adventure films from the store as well, and just getting people in for a few drinks and some fun evenings. So we definitely don't just see it as a store. We see it more as a kind of hub where we can get everyone together who enjoys similar things, similar vibe, and yeah, just enjoy ourselves there. And God, we'll need it. Like, I think people are absolutely like crying out for it. And also I think different spaces to be that aren't like using our retail spaces in different ways, I think as well is like, you know, we can, um, yeah, whether that's about meeting like-minded people or finding out a bit more about the brand that you love or, or actually just like getting a running body and meeting them there through like, yeah, doing that, all those things. And I think as well with this, like we're talking about, you know, this renewed interest in the great outdoors. And I, cause I think one thing about lockdown is I think, you know, it, it really showed it, the kind of those who had access to green space and those who, who mm. couldn't benefit from that. And I mean, have you seen that reflected in your, when you speak to your customers in terms of, in some ways, is it kind of awoken something in people? Have you spoken to people about like, you know, people reconnecting with the outdoors in a way that they hadn't done before? Yeah, I think lots of people we speak to are sort of getting out of Edinburgh a lot more, going on more sort of local adventures. Another thing we noticed, we've got a couple of books. One's a van conversion Bible that's Mm. just flying off the shelves as people are converting vans and sort of going away at the weekends, having their sort of little space that they can take with them. And I think it's just great to see more people getting out and about around Scotland and getting into nature. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's, you definitely feel everyone coming in talking about the adventures they're going on, especially now, you know, with May had two bank holidays and now we're coming into summer. Like Steve said, you know, the amount of people that are just coming in and, Edinburgh seems to be like a bit of a, a gateway on their on their way, whether it's you know up to the Highlands, up to Sky, um, and it's just great to hear um, where people are going and 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 their journeys. And we actually, I mean, we have a Meander online magazine. We do a fortnightly uh, newsletter with kind of you know sharing adventures, and we have people who have been in the store who are now you know writing guest blogs about you know whether it's been camping up in the highlands wild camping different things that have been going on um so yeah. definitely we're we're hearing all those kind of stories which is fab um as well as people like i said who are kind of new to cycling as well which is really cool and again they're they're interested in joining like our kind of meander leisurely cycle clubs as well <laughs> And I think as well, people rediscovering Scotland, you know, if we can't go abroad, and I mean, you know, whether you were fortunate enough to be able to go abroad pre-COVID or wherever you are with your thoughts on on foreign holidays, I think we're all just thinking, you know what, it's going to be less hassle for us just to, and, and let's rediscover places we couldn't even, because we couldn't even go outside our own local authority boundary. And I think it's that way where you think, oh gosh, you know, I really longed actually because I'm from Perth originally, I really longed to be in a woodland again. I was like, oh, you know, I really feel really cooped up. And it's that feeling of like escape, isn't it? I just want to sort of like, yeah, grab a rucksack and just off for the hills. So yeah, absolutely. I think we're so lucky in Scotland just to have so much on our doorstep within, you know, I mean, yeah, 
for us, we've got the Great Hills like five minutes or not even, you know, a minute away from, from where we live. And it's just, um, Edinburgh is just so lovely with so many green spaces. Or you can drive an hour and be climbing up a Monroe or something like that. So, yeah, I think we're absolutely spoiled yes. in Scotland. We're so lucky. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, people can look for, well, sign up to the um, the mailing list or, and, and keep an eye on your mm. socials for the next steps there. Where next for you then? You've, you've kind of, you've been, I suppose, more of this building this community then, this kind of community building on George Street. And you've kind of hinted at a, some collaborations. Can you say any more about those collaborations <laughs> yet? I don't know if we can. But it is very exciting. <laughs> um, we'll leave it at that, folks. You can, you can not uh, yet in mind. Watch so I think, yeah, I think we've been sworn secrecy at the moment, but it, it, it will be something that's announced hopefully in the autumn. So yeah, exciting oh, there. Lovely. What I what I can share, I guess, um, what we do, what we are quite excited about is our our plans to um, increase our our retail landscape. So. We're yes, we have an offering on currently on a store in Glasgow. Um, so yes, we're we're very much hoping to get that open um, in a few months' time. We're kind of looking at August September to open a store there. So quite excited about that. Um, yeah, and then how is that? Can I ask how that's been comparatively, like in terms of the experience between Glasgow and Edinburgh? Has there been any differences between finding a space or? How that's been for you? To be honest, this this store, which you know, fingers crossed, it's still not absolutely signed on the line, but um, it's one that I have seen for for quite a while. It's kind of been in, in my sights, and when I saw it, um, it was kind of like that that would be the perfect store for us. So unlike in Edinburgh, where we had seen quite a few stores in Glasgow, we've literally seen one. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I I think it is a perfect one for us um so yes yeah we'll we'll see what happens there but fingers crossed that will go ahead um and then we're also planning something down in London um more towards Christmas time as well so yeah brilliant and would that be a pop-up or would that be a sort of permanent yeah I think it'd be a pop-up there's sort of a good way to test an area I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the opportunities that recent times have brought about you can take short-term leases, see how they go. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way yeah. to do it without having that 10-year commitment, especially yeah. when you're going somewhere new and you don't know how it will be. Definitely. And there's some really interesting kind of disruptors on the pop-up market that are really trying to think of innovative ways for you to yeah, connect with different brands and yeah in really interesting ways. I think it's a really a, a really interesting space in the high street actually and, and allow that just allow a physical presence for people who might not be able to afford it or might not even be thinking about retail. I think it's a really interesting way to, like you say, break into new markets and get your name out there. A bit. Yeah, it's starting to see sort of bigger brands instead of coming over to the UK and getting one shop in one location. It's kind of let's have a store that moves around and then we can yeah. increase the amount of people we get exposure to. So kind of hopefully yeah. we'll, as we grow, we'll have a blend of, pop-ups permanent and pop-ups that become permanent yeah brilliant oh so exciting so many exciting things in your in your midst and in your future I would we can all watch with yeah real excitement and well I, I look forward to the events actually particularly I think just bringing that to life and and kind of yeah 
I suppose as particularly as though as somebody as I, I like the outdoors, but I wouldn't say I'm outdoorsy as a person. But that idea of thinking, oh, maybe I could dip my toe in. Maybe I could like, you know, I could sort of like find out a bit more about the where I live. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think that's what we're all about. It's all about the everyday adventure. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, that's glorious. Well, thank you so much for your time, both of you. It's just been, yeah, such a pleasure to meet you. And we just look forward to watching your journey and where you go from from here. Thank you. It's been absolutely lovely chatting to you. Yeah, it's been great. I hope we see you at an event soon. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating the show, writing a review or telling a friend. It really helps us to be discovered by other like-minded listeners. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did and you want to support me to continue to make the show, I would love it if you became a patron by clicking the link in the show notes. From as little as the price of a coffee a month, you receive behind the scenes content, blog posts and lots more. Click the link in the show notes to find out more or head to patreon.com slash independent thinking. Bye for now.